the song of the Lord. I want to talk about that tonight in a slightly different way from what we've just sung. But I'm talking about doxology. Now, I would not have used that term a few months ago, but there have been some wonderful new songs written using doxology. And what, what is it? What is it? Give me, you're going to be very clever tonight. What is it? Well, it's from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. It's anything that we use to bring praise and honor and glory to the Lord. And so, doxology is actually the ultimate good. It's the ultimate goal. It's God's great plan to bring glory to himself through his people and indeed through all creation. Now, some will immediately say, what kind of God is that? He's some kind of dictator. He's some kind of egotistical narcissist. Um, and and you've you got to worship him. And, and if you don't, you're in big trouble. Well, listen, in today's world, everybody says, be yourself. Be yourself. Be yourself. God, don't be yourself. Well, if anybody has a right to be himself, is God. And when God is himself, he acknowledges who he is. And because he is who he is, the eternal God, the source, originator, purpose of everything, when he receives glory, it's because we recognize God is being himself. That's so wonderful. And what I want to share with you tonight is this. As you experience ultimate victory, then you will learn the joy of ultimate praise. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray for Holy Spirit revelation. Praising you, worshipping you is a daily thing in our lives. Gathering Sunday by Sunday in another context, beginning with worship, ending with worship, we're all so familiar with it. But we thank you, Lord, that there is much more that we can learn and experience and much more that we can enjoy when we come to glorify you. Amen and amen. The Westminster Shorter Catechism which goes way back to Westminster theologians a number of hundreds of years ago, had as their first question, I'll put it the way they wrote it, what is the chief end of man? Now, today, we would say, what is the ultimate goal of life? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, there are times in our preaching and times in our life and living when we deal with so many serious things. There's a time to lighten up and just remember God is God and hand it all over to him and acknowledge what he has done. My story today is the exodus from Egypt. I'm going to choose one verse before I read a slightly uh, uh, longer passage. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Focus on this right now. 
This is part of the song of Moses after they've witnessed that great deliverance through the Red Sea. Who is like unto you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Now we could choose any book of the Bible. We could go from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And we will see from Genesis the purpose of humanity was to glorify God. And the restoration that came as a result of the fall pointing all the way to Jesus was ultimately for the purpose of God. God choosing a nation, Israel, was to bring glory to his name. He said, I didn't choose you because you were bigger and better than anybody else. In fact, I I'm going to restore you even to myself when you've gone astray, not just for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. Then we end up in Revelation, and it's all, whatever else it's about, the book of Revelation is all about glory, glory, glory. I put on that glory accent, I don't know, I should just say glory, but glory sounds better. And uh, there are praise songs all the way through. Where, where are, I hope our musicians and singers are listening. Bring them here. I know that they are following carefully on the monitor. Bring them here because I want to I catch the joy on their faces when I preach about what they are gifted in doing. Now, in the book of Revelation, um, there are many, many songs of praise and worship, but there are two main themes. There's the song of creation. Creation. You are worthy, O Lord. Because you created all things, all things are by your will, for your purpose, and your, the great act of creation means that all creation worships you, all creation glorifies you, and you and I, created in the image of God, we have been made for this purpose of enjoying God, recognizing who he is, and, and seeing his splendor and seeing his majesty, recounting his amazing, marvelous deeds that demonstrate his power, his authority, and his glory. But then there's another song. This is not the song of creation, it builds on it. It's the song of redemption. That's when we say, Lord, out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, you have redeemed for yourself a people. Everybody say, people. Uh, redeemed a people. Say it again. Next week without masks, you'll sound better. All right. Okay, come on, on. Come in, guys. I just love you to be here in the main part as we share this great uh, message on worship and glorifying God. And so, the song of creation and the song of uh, redemption. And so now, here we go. Let's read fully now Exodus chapter 15. Let's read more of this great song of praise. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone till your people 
till your people, till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, your sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. Now you may wonder why uh, God is speaking out because this is not just a praise song, it's inspired, uh, and why God is talking about the nations. And when you look at this from a horizontal human point of view, there seems to be no good reason. No good reason why God might favor this nation as opposed to that nation and, and why God would say, you, 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 you're going down. What is, what is this all about? Well, the answer really is found in that first part of verse 11 that I read to you earlier. Let me read it again. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? All right, what have we got now? Who is like you, O Lord, Yahweh, God, has the company of other gods? We just got to use these translations. Let me explain to you. These are the Elohim, God's spiritual family, the, the spiritual powers that God created. God did not just have an earthly creation, you know, he had a heavenly creation. You might better know these as angels. But anyway, the Old Testament, they are called the, the, the sons of God, the, the heavenly beings. And, and, and God created this wonderful heavenly family. And uh, he, they were like his kind of heavenly court, he created them, he's uncreated, that's why there is only one God. But these other spiritual beings, these heavenly beings, were there, created by God to worship God and to help him administer the affairs of the earth. All right, just a little bit of background for you. Do you know how supernatural the worldview of the Bible is? Today, we may say we're living in a postmodern generation. We may say we're living in a scientific generation. I don't know how you describe yourself or describe our culture. But by and large, most people do not appreciate that the physical world is not all that there is. That there is a spiritual realm with spiritual beings. Let's call them angels for the moment. But also what we discover when we go through the Bible is that there was just as there was on the earth a rebellion. There was a rebellion in heaven. And these heavenly beings that God had said, I want you to help me administer. God didn't need help, but he's always including, he's always sharing. Come and share in my work and take care of the peoples of the earth. Now, what happened was, in their rebellion, they began to lead people away from God. Actually, if you think about it, we'll talk about it on another occasion, this is the source of all the different religions in the world, drawing people away from the worship of the one true and the living God. All right, now, God at a certain point said, enough's enough. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. God said, right, the nations have gone astray, they've turned away, they have succumbed to the uh, seduction and deception that these heavenly sons, rebellious heavenly sons, have produced 
amongst the nations. So God said, that's it. We could put it this way. The word isn't exactly used. It's a description that I'm using. God said, I'm going to divorce the nations, not without hope. There is a redemption plan here. But first of all, I'm going to divorce those nations and hand them over to the sons of God. And I am going to begin again with a new nation. And this new nation, ultimately we know it as Israel, this new nation, they shall be my people. The rest of you, do what you like. Do what's in your heart to do. Go and worship other gods. But this nation will be my people. And I shall be their God. Let's have a look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 8 to 9. At the point in time when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided humankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now this is the origin of the principalities and powers that New Testament speaks about. Verse 9, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. All right, so now you understand why God took very special care of the children of Israel. When about 70 of them came to settle in Egypt and within 400 years grew to millions of people, there they were eventually in captivity. And they were groaning under the weight of captivity and God heard their cry and remembered their covenant and he said, I've come down to rescue them. I've come down to rescue you. So he raised up Moses, who was pretty reluctant, and eventually Moses went ahead and began to speak freedom and deliverance. He went into Pharaoh. Don't know, understand that behind all that was happening in Egypt, there were spiritual powers. The gods of Egypt were affecting and working and manipulating and controlling. And God says, I'm going to demonstrate my power and my glory. I'm going to demonstrate who I am. I am not just one God amongst other gods. I am God and the rest of these are created beings. And he says, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to act on behalf of my people. And in doing so, I'm going to demonstrate to all the nations who really is God. I'm going to demonstrate my supremacy, my authority. I am going to show myself to be who I am. And so when I rescue these nation, this, this, uh, this nation, all the nations will hear about it. Not necessarily because of Twitter feeds or, or any kind of news channel, but it would reverberate and shatter and, and shake the whole spiritual realm when God shows himself to be glorious on the earth through his people. Amen. And all those plagues in Egypt, you can trace many of them. I know Bible scholars that do it in detail, but whatever, just in, ge in general, many of those plagues were uh, judgments against the gods of Egypt. Amen. They worshipped some of the stuff. And God said, I'm in charge here. I am God. Now listen, it's not just God is trying to prove who he really is or to show that he's some 
kind of great uh, God, uh, better than the other gods. My God's bigger than your God. My team's better than your team. By the way, last Sunday night, we came so close to victory, uh, and there was good celebration. Uh, it wasn't quite victory, but tonight we are celebrating an ultimate victory that is bigger and better than that. I'm very sorry to say that, but God is much more important than football. I know that is blasphemy and heresy to some people, but there we go. Thank God for that. Victory. So God said, I'm going to demonstrate my, who I am. And that's so important for God to do. Because when God shows himself for who he is, suddenly we recognize who we are. We find out our reason for being here. We find the source of all joy, the source of all blessing, the source of everything that is good. And when we praise God, we are aligning ourselves with who he is. And in that alignment comes so much blessing. God always blesses his people when he demonstrates his glory. Did you know that? When God demonstrates his glory, it is always in the context of deliverance, of authority, of power, of blessing, of joy, and rejoicing. And so, the exodus began. The final plague was the plague of the firstborn, and the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb was the very blood of redemption. God passed his judgment over the households of Israel, so that the world would know, these are my people. I love them. I've chosen them. I have redeemed them. And now we know that points to the blood of Jesus Christ by which God has purchased for himself through the price of redemption, purchased a nation, a holy nation, a people, ultimately made up of all the peoples of the earth. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I want you to know at this point, that this earthly drama, what's going on? They come out of Egypt and they get to a particular place where they are totally trapped. If you just go back to your Bibles and trace the, 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 where they went, they were not allowed to go up near the Philistines, leaving Egypt because that's, they'd be scared of the Philistines. And, and so they took them south across a, a circuitous route and they went through all the desert regions and, and, they, and it was three days and three nights they marched. That's why God had healed them all before they left. He said, no feeble amongst my tribes, you're going to need your energy. And they walked and marched day and night until they came to a place. And God said, no, don't, don't stay here. That place was too easy. That place was too easy. They could have easily escaped the Egyptians in that place further north. And God said, no, go back and go south. And then God directed them to a place which was a massive setup. There is no doubt about it a massive setup. It's called Pi-Hararoth. And if you have a look at that, uh, Exodus 14, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel, Turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hararoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall camp in camp, facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. It was a setup. Do you know 
that some of the places where you have been led and you think God's been leading me and now I'm in a place where I'm all shut in I've nowhere to go and God has brought me here what are you playing at God well God's not playing at anything I tell you what he's doing he is setting you up for a, a remarkable victory in your life that you can say the Lord is with me and also he knew God knew that all the scouts and all the spies from Pharaoh will say do you know what they're lost there's no sense when what they're doing they're wandering here wandering there they're absolutely exhausted they don't know where they're going and you know what now they've come to camp by Pi-Hararoth let me tell you about this place all right there they were now, you know, there are various interpretations of where this was, but I do, I'm very intrigued by the theory that this was the Nueva Beach. The Nueva Beach in the, that little finger of the Red Sea, which we know as Aqaba. Uh, 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 and and there, that's, that part of the Red Sea is very, very deep. It's about half a mile deep. And uh, there's a huge beach where l so many people can gather. Now, so there they were facing the Red Sea. Now, behind them were, were the, the mountains uh, of, uh, of um, Migdol, which were, you know, even Paharoth means desert hills, but right around there, Migdol, there was raised uh, land, almost fortified, perfect place for an ambush. And uh, next to that was Baal Zephron, which is uh, the, the, the pagan god of sea traders. Uh, and so they're surrounded by physical obstacles, spiritual obstacles. Behind them, well, it depends which way they're facing, but let's let them face inland for the moment. Behind them is the Red Sea. In front of them are mountains either side. No escape to the east or to the west. No escape to the north or the south. And then, right in the only passageway entry, comes Pharaoh's soldiers, 600 of his choice chariots, and the rest of them, and officers, and foot soldiers. I've heard it estimated that Pharaoh's army was up to 250,000 people, and they were all trapped. The Israelites were trapped. And so God did something amazing. He said, now, I'm going to give you a bit of time. So here's what's happening. The wonderful presence of God that had accompanied them, that pillar of cloud and, and a fire by night, cloud by day, passed through the whole camp and positioned itself at the only entry point of the soldiers. When you're shut in, and to the best of your knowledge, and in all sincerity, you find yourself in a position through no fault of your own. And sometimes we get ourselves in a pickle because we jumped in the vinegar juice ourselves. But other times, we are there. Say, God, what have I done wrong? I've been, I've been praying and seeking you and, and I believe you've been leading me and you brought me to this dead end. You brought me to this place from which there's no escape. And God, what are you going to do for me? The first thing he's going to do for you is take his presence and place his presence as a barrier between those who are out to get you and his protection himself. Oh, his presence is going to do it every time. And then 
Everybody's crying out. They start rebelling against Moses. Oh, you brought us out to die in the wilderness. We should have stayed in Egypt. And, and Moses said, God, what am I going to do? And God said, Moses, what are you crying out to me for? Tell the people that they're going to see my mighty hand of deliverance. And all they have to do is be quiet. Oh, God says some things that I wish I could put on my own lips. Sometimes I want to, to tell people, be quiet, wait for the Lord, stop it, stop your grumbling, stop your complaining, stop your moaning, stop all this chit-chat and talk-talk, look to God, be silent, be still, God is with you. And then he spoke to Moses, he says, Moses, what are you crying out to me for? Get on with it, stretch forth your hand. And the mighty rod of God in the hand of Moses was stretched out over the sea and God called a wind coming from the other side of the Red Sea. A dry, warm wind. And as a result of that wind and God's supernatural power, the waters parted. Now, they went through on dry ground. Now, just a few things about this on the Nueva Beach, either side of that finger of the part of the Red Sea, uh, uh, the, the Gulf of Aqaba. Now, pretty sure that this is the right place because divers, divers have discovered chariot wheels, you can go to YouTube, see them yourself, um, which have been f formed into coral over, over the years, uh, sandy, sandy uh, 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 bottom of the sea there, but corals around artifacts and, and, and stuff that's been identified even with priestly chariots and there they are. No other place uh, archaeologically uh, points to, uh, to the, 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 the spot where, where God did it. So it's really exciting, really real. Other parts more traditionally, this is the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, just a bit of marshy land. You could paddle through that. That's not a miracle. That's not a miracle. But going down half a mile deep, the only place where you can descend, the only place where there's enough room for people to gather and descend into the Red Sea, and if you walk through it, come up on the other side, is that very spot. The waters parted. And so the Egyptians said God removed his presence and they said, right, now's our chance. So they went in pursuit and when the last chariot, the last foot soldier entered into the midst of the Red Sea, water piled up either side, then God said enough and the waters returned to their place and every single one of them sunk to the bottom. That's our God. The God of deliverance, the God of judgment, and the God of salvation. And when they came out the other side, they looked at all this and began to really praise God. Now, you might say, well, um, I don't like the idea of judgment. Well, I'm sorry for you. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry for you. Because if you think God isn't a holy God, then you've got a wrong idea of God. If you say, I don't like the idea of judgment, then you have no sense of justice at all and you can never ever talk about justice or right and wrong ever again. Our God is the God of justice, therefore he's the God of judgment. But, but there is a way of escape. That's what this is all about. If you are part of God's people, 
then you are on the right side of God's judgment. Not because you deserve to be, but because God took all of his judgment and poured it upon Christ so that you and I could go free. Amen. Just like that Passover lamb was sacrificed in place of each household, so Jesus became the sacrifice, God's way of pouring out all his wrath on somebody who volunteered to take it out of love sent by the Father out of his own choice. God himself in Christ became the very sacrifice. Fulfilling the age-old promise, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And so what happened? This powerful act of deliverance executed God's judgment against the spiritual powers ruling the nations and that same activity was God vindicating his people and demonstrating to the whole world that these are my people. I am their God. Now then, if you remember, the verses that followed went on to, to talk about all these other nations and um, terror and dread falling upon them. What, what, what is that all about? God's purpose is to bring glory to himself by demonstrating who he really is through a people. Remember that. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21 is very powerful. Let's turn to it. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Hope it'll be coming up on the screen if uh, you got my message. If not, just give me a moment. I'll turn to it. Now, yeah, here we go. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Amen. Who? The people of God. Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all ages and generations forever and ever. God is going to demonstrate his glory through his people, through his church. Now is not the time to be giving up on the church. God has plan A, no plan B. Plan A is you and me and everybody else that surrenders to God and responds to his call to become part of his people. So, today is a day of celebration. We're celebrating the victory of Christ over the enemy. We're celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ over the principalities and powers. And we are living in anticipation and expectancy that we too may walk day by day in victory. Day by day. And we're getting ready for that final manifestation of the kingdom. And when that day comes, my friend, it's going to be a great and glorious day. 
because all that that was invisible and happening behind closed doors will become visible. I reckon next Sunday when we gather in larger numbers, people will be coming, they'll be different, different from eight, 16 months ago. Many people have found Christ during this time. If you found Christ during COVID, come in, come and enjoy being with us and we want to welcome you. Uh, and I reckon that or even the old church members are going to come back new church members because God has been working for our good and His glory even in the shut-in situations of our lives. We're not going to come back to the same thing. We're coming back to God's new thing that He's doing. And God is going to show us how we can go from victory to victory in the midst of sometimes confusion, sometimes exasperation, sometimes awfully awesome moments in our lives. But we're going to see what God has done over these past 16 months. Imagine what it will be like on that day when everything that has to be done is done and everything that is going to happen has happened and God brings it all to an end to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. At that time, God is going to be glorified in his people and the very people who disregarded you who thought you were crazy. Not just crazy, but crazy. You are crazy. Everybody thought you are ridiculous for believing in some dusty, dusty old book that has no authenticity. They will suddenly discover that God is the living God. His words are living and true. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are saved and we are part of his people. And we will magnify him and glorify him and sing of his glorious victory. That's doxology. Give God a big praise. Amen and amen and amen.